parents should not accept yes and no answers from their children. Okay, turn it on them. Well, you 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 tell me yes. Well, why? Why is the answer yes? Uh, why is the answer no? Can can you give me another way of doing that? Uh, and if if a child is telling you, well, you're wrong, and of course you're going to get this in, with your preteens and your teenagers, prove to me why I'm wrong. Give me your argument and have a conversation with them. Don't give them the easy way out. You know, like, oh, no, don't let them walk away. You know, make make the child defend his or her opinion. Because a lot of times they don't really think it through. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Barbara Ann Mojica. Author, educator, and parent, Barbara provides tools to inspire, entertain, and educate youth. History is the key to solving today's problems. Tired of being bombarded by social media noise? Accept the challenge. Be a truth teller. Barbara is a historian and retired educator. Her education career spans more than 40 years serving as a teacher, special educator, principal, and school district administrator. Using the whimsical Little Miss history character to narrate her book series, she makes learning history a fun-filled adventure. Barbara firmly believes if you don't know your history, you don't know what you're talking about. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Barbara. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life Thank journey. You. <laughs> Thank you, Dwight. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on. I look forward to this conversation and learning more about your journey to the creation of the, your books. They look really interesting. I was doing some research of them last night. Uh, I'm always looking for good books for obviously my kids are all growing up but I have five grandkids so I'm constantly it's been neat in this podcasting journey I've read I met a lot of different people and even in my own brand of give a heck and buying your books like from for my grandkids so I'm looking forward to looking more into them and you know getting them from my grand grandbabies because it's always nice for you know to be vetted and having you on my podcast, I'm going to learn more about the books. It's going to give me more of a, a passion to want to help them learn more about history. And I know you have other books besides that as well. So I'm looking forward to learning about Little Miss History, I believe that's called, correct? 
That's correct. Right on. So we're going to start where I, I normally start, where you and I talked about as well and you're familiar with. I believe that a person's origin story is is the best way to get to know, like, and trust them just because of the fact that our life is accumulation of patterns and learned behaviors as you speak about yourself right from our childhood all the way to adulthood so could you do me a favor Barbara and tell me your origin story what key things from your childhood to adulthood led you to where you're at currently okay well it's been a long and winding path I was born uh, to to a working class family I was born in Brooklyn New York but grew up right over the border in Queens, New York, just a couple of steps over. I lived right on the borderline. And my parents grew up in pretty difficult circumstances. They were both children of the Depression. And uh, they consequently taught me a lot about the importance of being careful, uh, budgeting, uh, learning to use all of your resources wisely. We didn't have a lot of money. So growing up, I didn't have the opportunity to travel much. And I was very, very curious about everything. I was drawn to school and academics. That was my passion. Wasn't very much interested in sports. Uh, and uh, those were the only things that I tended to give up on. When, when it came to school, when it came to learning and reading, I was always immersed and I was determined to get to the bottom of things. So there, there was my strength, my curiosity and my determination, but with, with other things, not so much. So I wasn't very social. I had a few close friends. I, I Social life wasn't that important to me. I was very focused, again, uh, on learning and my studies. And I was drawn to different people. I, I was drawn to history because it was all about these people who were able to get out of ordinary situations to explore, to discover new worlds, to discover new ideas and then use those things to create new inventions and opportunities. So in school, uh, I, I put my nose to the grindstone, but uh, as I mentioned before, my parents didn't have a lot of means. So it didn't appear that I would have uh, an opportunity to continue academic learning. But when I went to high school and, and in high school, I was focusing on a career in business. So I was taking business type of subjects, then and typing, bookkeeping, that type of thing. And I met a teacher who was coincidentally a history teacher who was phenomenal. She just bounced around the room. She inspired you. She really drew you into her stories. And of course, that rekindled my love of history again. But she drew me aside and she said, you know, Barbara, you have to go to college. And I said, well, don't think that's in the cards for me. And she said, well, there's a way for you to do it. So at that time in New York City, there was a 
uh, public education system that was based on merit. So there was a city university system and uh, it was strictly based on academic credentials. So I really put my nose to the grindstone. I worked my tail off. I achieved all sorts of honors and I graduated near the top of my class. So I was able to gain entrance to my first choice of these city colleges and I began studying. Again, I was still drawn to that history. So I majored in history and I just applied myself to everything that could be interconnected with my studies. So I was so enthusiastic and so anxious to get ahead. I took courses during the summer. I, you know, really tried to make all of the possible learning connections I could. So in studying history, I took courses in art history. I took courses in anthropology. I took courses in other languages. And I tried to like fill in the whole picture. And um, I wound up graduating in three years because I was in such a rush and taking all of these extra courses during the summers and things. And in graduate school, again, uh, something that I didn't plan for and certainly couldn't anticipate. When I was taking my summer courses, I met a, another teacher who was a, a history professor in college. And unbeknownst to me, he put in my name for a scholarship program for a master's degree. And one day I get a letter in the mail and I've been awarded a graduate assistantship in history and I nearly fell over. <laughs> I had no idea. So that became the next step in my career. I went to graduate school and I got a master's degree in, in history. And um, so here I was now uh, 21 years old and I had to decide what's the next step in my career now. And I decided I really loved history, but I was also a people person. And I didn't want to get involved in that kind of uh, academic ivory tower, you know, enclosed in the bubble doing research 24 seven, even though I love doing research. So I went into teaching and I started teaching uh, elementary school for 20, over 20 years. I taught elementary school and I worked with children in the general population. But during that time, I slowly became aware that a lot of children's needs weren't being met by the current education system and that children learn in so many different ways. And I wanted to explore that. So I off to college, I go again, and I took uh, a degree in certification in special ed. So I decided I'm going to work with children who have very special needs and need to learn in different ways. So that's what I did. Uh, I worked in special ed, I worked with children with really, really uh, severe disabilities, uh, 
autism, crack cocaine babies, uh, physical disabilities, all, you know, the whole gamut. And I worked with very young children, preschool children. Uh, and from there, I became the principal of that special ed preschool that I was working in. And uh, that took my career to a whole new dimension. Uh, now I was working with a whole interdisciplinary staff. So I learned so much more because I've had the opportunity to work with speech therapists and occupational therapists, physical therapists, psychologists. Uh, and I was responsible for, for coordinating this whole program. So uh, here I was again in a, you know, a, a new dimension, combining all of my interests. Uh, but there was one other step that came along. I had the opportunity to become a administrator for the uh, for the uh, New York City uh, special ed population. So I became an administrator, and. I had thought I reached the pinnacle of my career, but that was not to be because life would take another twist and turn. Uh, along came uh, the mayor's idea to reorganize the entire education system for the city. And since I was there for a relatively short amount of time, it was two years, I, you know, my head was on the chopping block. So, uh, I was laid off and uh, I had to find a new path. <laughs> so um, I went, I bounced around doing different things for a while. And um, eventually I got another teaching position. So back this time in the public school system as a special educator, uh, working with children with special needs uh, and being thrown into all kinds of new situations. So I was an itinerant teacher. I was a reading teacher. Uh, I was sometimes doing administrative work uh, when needed, uh, like academic support committees and that, and that kind of thing. So I became a regular teacher again. And I, I used all of that to move around in these different roles because whenever they decided they needed something else, I was put in there to fill the bill. So uh, I performed all of these different types of, uh, of roles. And uh, I even became an independent contractor outside of school hours and started working one-on-one -on -one, uh, with children uh, in, uh, for instance, home care, like uh, children who were autistic, who had special services outside the center-based programming. I work with them one-on-one, -on -one, like uh, using the techniques like applied behavioral analysis. That was another learning opportunity for me, again, working, uh, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but still within this whole group of other clinicians. So uh, I did that for a while and, uh, by this time, uh, I was starting to think about retirement. My uh, children were grown and, and off on their own. Mm -hmm. I had gotten them through college and, and that. Uh, I faced another obstacle. Um, I was married for 34 years and suddenly my marriage fell apart. So I had no choice but to uh, 
have a divorce and uh, things were looking glum again. But then I met uh, the love of my life, my soulmate, and uh, I remarried. And uh, by this time, I decided it was time for me to step back from formal career in education. Uh, and I retired. I moved upstate New York, where I now live, and I'm very happy. And last, my my retirement phase lasted not even a couple of months <laughs> because I decided, oh, this is not going to be for me. So I wanted to continue working with children in some way. And I, I wanted to use my passion for history. So I got an opportunity to write for a local news magazine. So I write very short one-page articles about history for a local news magazine. And I was talking to my husband and I said, you know, I really still want to work with kids. And he said, well, I got an idea. And my husband is an artist uh, and also a writer, but he spent many years uh, doing art. And some of that art was art for children. Some of it was cartooning. Uh, some some of it was uh, just creative. So he had a lot of uh, ideas in his head about how he could help me combine these two ideas. So he said, if you want to write about history for kids and you want to make it entertaining and inspiring, why don't I create a character for you? So he did that. He created Little Miss History. The Little Miss History character was born. And Little Miss History is based on a younger version of me. So what I hope to do is I hope to involve children to take them on a journey using this character and this character helps them see themselves as a part of this journey and encourages them to think critically, to ask all of the questions uh, that will help them understand the journey. So that's what my books do. And uh, Little Miss History is this create, creation that embodies a lot of my characteristics. Uh, I love to travel. I used to love to hike. So she wears a kind of camping outfit. Uh, she wears rose-colored glasses because she tries to see the world as the glass half full rather than half empty. She has an optimistic viewpoint. And... Uh, she she wears pigtails like I used to do. She wears these oversized hiking boots, and they're just in memory of my father's feet. So she's just kind of this lovable, and and he exaggerates the features, so he makes her look uh, cartoony and fun and, and appealing. Uh, so uh, children uh, will will be attracted to her and and you know want to be a part of that journey. So that's how the series was born, and uh, that was ten years ago. And uh, I'm still writing, and we're we're still going on the, this journey, trying to trying to entertain children, but at the same time to inspire them and to give them the critical thinking tools uh, that I think are so lacking in our education system today, which is so focused on 
the standards, the goals of, 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 of uh, you know, just learning content, but not learn, learning how to think, you know, it, it's all on the end product, not on the process of how you, you think, how you learn, how you take all of this knowledge, put it together to analyze, infer, make your own opinions and judgments about things. So that's really the, uh, the aim of my, my series. Wow. <clears throat> I love your origin story. Uh, there's so many things that so many nuggets of great information that you shared that I could key on, but there's a few that I really wanted to key on. One of the things that you mentioned, your parents weren't very well off, but you learned uh, the principle of, you know, budgeting is important and to use your resources wisely. I think that is something that's very lacking in our society today. Mm -hmm. Being in the financial industry, this is my 20th anniversary um, for my finance practice, my education practice. I'd say 99% of the people that I sit down with, whether they're um, poor, middle-class, affluent, don't have a clue about the rules of the money game and understanding inflows and outflows. And it leads to so much mental and emotional strife. It, le it learns, leans towards addictions. It leans towards family violence. It leans toward, you know, mental, mental challenges, depression, anxiety, because they're never taught that budgeting and understanding that if you have a dollar, you can't spend a dollar fifty long term and expect to have a good life. And they don't understand. I like that resources wisely because it's not it's something that I don't talk enough about with people, but I do in in a different way. But that wording is perfect. You have so many resources in your life. Are you using those resources wisely? Are you squandering them? Or are you actually saying, hey, this is my resource. How can I use it to the best of my ability? And having gratitude and gratefulness that you have that resource because somebody else might not have it should make you appreciate your life even more to want to live a life on purpose and not by accident, which is my whole mission statement for the people that I coach and my clientele. So I appreciated you bringing that up about the budgeting. Um, it's not often that I hear people talk about budgeting and then adding that resource wisely. So I appreciate that. One of the things that inspired me about your story is the fact that you've been inspired by so many people and went on to lead a life where you've inspired others, specifically through the education system and children. So the reason I bring that up and to make sure that the listeners catch that and the people watching is it takes one person to inspire somebody that can be a catalyst effect throughout your whole life as that history teacher had done for you helped, you know, helped you get into um, you ended up going off to major in history, right? Getting your major in it. And that's amazing. Yes. And I can't imagine how many people, Barbara, you've inspired throughout your life. And you and I talked about that before recording where I'm only, I've always gotten to the part of me i've gotten to the point not always where i'm only looking even in my in my business my career or my podcast or when i wrote my book to inspire one person and if i inspire one person they inspire others and you're a prime example of that you're a prime example of my give a hack brand and why i wanted you on the show is 
I didn't know all this information. I knew the superficial about you, but now that you've shared your origin, it just confirms the fact that you're an you're an amazing, unique individual, and you probably have changed thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people's lives without even knowing. But you're satisfied with the fact that you know that you've satisfied at least one, which is a good thing, right? So right. thank you uh, for affirming I mean that. I would hope so. And if I've touched many more who were encouraged to go out and, and, and use something that I've given them to help someone else that they know, that's, you know, even more wonderful. Well, that's the thing. So many people in, in the world today <clears throat> want to help others, but they're always looking for accolades. And I'm not saying those listening or watching that accolades aren't good. They are good. Being, being, you know, acknowledged for what we've done and what we've accomplished is great, but some people get stuck on that and they don't continue to evolve and continue to move forward and inspire. Whereas everything that I've written down here, as you were talking, you went from, you know, elementary school teacher for 20 plus years, went back to college for special needs, got into admin for, and you know, NY for New York City, you know, your marriage fell apart, but you continue to drive yourself and move forward, which is very inspirational. And I can imagine the people in your circle of influence have watched all this. And there'll be many of us silent that you'll never know that you've, been the catalyst for them to have a very successful life so i appreciate you thank you for everything you've done for so many oh. people thank you for for acknowledging that it's something You're that I, you know i don't really think about it but in the back of my head that that keeps driving me forward to continue to do it to you know to take what has taken uh, a long time over my lifetime, uh, all of the things that have happened kind of congealed to push me forward and, and, and try to help some other people um, maybe to explore passions that they hadn't thought about uh, some you know sometimes life kicks us in the rear and and we're forced to go out there and explore something new but I think we should all have the curiosity within us within us to you know always try something new because it, if you learn something new every day you have an opportunity to take that and to build it into some new unanticipated skill that may help you in the future. And you never know uh, what's going to happen. Uh, you know, life is like a puzzle. You start out with the table blank and, and you start putting pieces together and you sometimes you get stuck and, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you make a lot of progress uh, sometimes you get held back, but um, to me, if you take your own history, because again, history is uh, something that evolves over time. We can't uh, understand 
uh, how uh, understand anything if we don't understand how we got to where we are today and then use that knowledge to build some kind of a framework to see a path for our future so history is 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 understanding and history isn't just about important people famous people uh, it's about all of us so we are all a part of history the day we're born you know we start our own history we first learn about the history of our family we learn about we ask the questions who was that what did they do when did they do it why did they do it and those are the basic questions of critical thinking that we have to keep continuing to ask during our lifetime if we want to understand we want to understand why something happened we have to go back and 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 look look at all of those questions and and answer them before we can have a basis for understanding and so many questions that we have today could maybe be uh, answered by going back and looking at what happened in the past and how we can apply that knowledge so there are so many reasons for studying history uh you know i i have this little sheet on my blog 14 reasons to understand and and know history but there are thousands of reasons for understanding history i mean history uh helps us to understand our own identity it helps us to understand uh why things change it helps us to understand uh conflicting points of view uh, and and it helps us to uh get a broader perspective of things and um how, how to can... not make the same mistakes yeah <laughs> well that because his, yes. history is always not a positive thing that we can look but we no. can look at we can look at what's happened in history and make positive moves and changes so that we're creating a history that's different, that'll give a different type of outcome. Sometimes people don't get that, though. I find that all the time that they re they relive the past history. Like you said, history is about our families. You know, we start growing up and about our family history, and we take those pattern behaviors into our own children where that pattern or that history yes. was incorrect. So people need to wake up, open their eyes to history and understand that there's lots of lessons to be learned. Certainly. And uh, we can start applying those lessons if we take the time to go back and to understand in terms of the facts and then then we can look at at the evidence, but we need to understand in terms of what was happening then. We can't impose our situation today on people that lived 200 years ago. Exactly. Uh, 200 years ago, we will look, you know, we had the opportunity uh, to look at so many primary sources. 200 years ago, how did people communicate? They Letters, diaries, journals. Today, we live in the 21st century uh, technology age. So our media is changing so fast and nobody wants to take the time to really look at 
the, those critical pieces of information. We're all multitasking. We're, we're and we aren't. We're not getting the whole picture. So depending on the the way we get our information, whether it be uh, through one social media platform or another, again, children growing up are, of course, influenced by their peers. They want to fit in with their peers. And they're not getting the whole picture. So they're, you know, they're making judgments based in uh, a lot on incomplete or faulty information. And uh, that's another real danger to critical thinking because uh, children are looking at the first piece of information they get and accepting that as truth. Well, they have a question. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't have the internet. So I couldn't go to the internet, type in a question and get the answer. I had to go and I had to research. I had to look at a couple of different books, a couple of different viewpoints before I made a judgment. Then I had to take all of the information that I got and try to figure out, well, what is the true answer to this question? You know, I had to sift through and assess and, and filter through all of that evidence. Today, we don't do that. You know, we say we look at the internet or we look at a piece of information on social in, uh, media and we don't investigate. Well, let's let's go back and look at that. Did that investigate all the variables? Is it giving us, you know, a true picture? We, we tend to uh, accept too much. We're, we're too, we're, uh, we can be very judgmental in, in terms of the fact that we want to, you know, have, fit in with our group of peers or we are just being given one side of the picture and we're not able to assess what's really happening because we're we're not getting the information so i think it's uh again in schools in in my country in the united states our educational standards have been going down 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 we have been placing the emphasis on teach the, the test the test the test you have to meet that standard and we spend so much time doing that we're not teaching the children how to think how the how to arrive at conclusions, how to take information from many different viewpoints, how to look at and, and analyze and infer. Then we can add our opinions after we take the the primary sources, the data, and put it all together. We we don't just go to the internet, see what the answer is on page one and say, well, that must be the answer to my question. So we're going to dive into more of, you know, the the education system and critical thinking. One of the things I did want to discuss with you is the interpretation of what we actually get presented to us, whether it was back years ago before the Internet or even to today, you know, mm -hmm. print information comes out in forms of text, emails, social media, and people read that information. I've been teaching people this for 20 years, especially with at one time without social media it was email. Somebody will be reading that email or even if it was a handwritten letter or they're reading something in a book and they interpret it based on 
their thought process, what they're feeling right now in the moment, where their life is at. And mm -hmm. the person that wrote that information might mean one thing, but that person interpreted it as something else. And they get, you know, they literally get to a point where they're offended or they're not offended or it doesn't emote what it was designed to be. So it's misinterpreted and blown out of proportion a lot of times. How do you think, you know, how does one bring across the right message, the right intention so as to not be misunderstood when they're putting stuff down in print? Do you believe that's capable? Uh, it's very difficult today uh, because we don't, we used to have news presented in a very factual way. So when I was growing up and, and my parent, my father would watch the news and he'd watch Walter Cron Cronkite or Chet Huntley. And the six o'clock news was a presentation of what had happened in the world today, okay? So you were given uh, the facts of what happened. Uh, the presenter on the on that news broadcast would very, very seldom inject opinions into that. So what do we have when we listen to the news today? If we go to television, nine out of time, 10 times we're presented with a panel. So they, they'll present a, a piece of news and then there'll be a panel of quote experts who will give their opinion on that. And then, okay, so this is what we hear. Uh, but if you look carefully, you will notice that a lot of times all of the news outlets will be on the same page and they'll present the news in a very similar way, sometimes even using the same exact words to present the story. So, they've more or less decided how this is going to be presented to the public. Uh, so that's almost like social media. Uh, and if, if the public views that source of news routinely, they're always going to get that same filter. It's going to be presented the same way. So I think the news used to be more objective. There was very little filtering and, and very little opinionizing on it. Today, it's just the opposite. So we get lots of opinions from people. And then over time, uh, the viewers will tend to associate themselves with the outlet that presents the news in the way that they're comfortable with, that you know they feel emotionally comfortable with, or they have that outlook. So it's very judgmental. So whether it's a social media platform or whether it's uh, a television platform, whether it's a streaming platform, what you know, whatever that platform is, people tend to associate with something that makes them feel comfortable. And that in turn tends to divide us even more. So uh, today we are very, very divided into camps, depending on uh, the group of people that we associate with and what makes us feel comfortable. And that's not 
necessarily good critical thinking, whether that there's always some kind of bias, whether it's a political bias because you belong to a certain political group and you align yourselves with them, or whether it's a, a judgmental because you belong to a certain religious group and you align them with that group. Uh, some people see things uh, very black and white one way. It's, you know, my way or the highway. There are a lot of parents uh, today who uh, parent that way. You know, they still have a very authoritarian view. And then you have the helicopter parents who who do everything for their child. And, and, and uh, they just want to hear what they want to hear. And they're going to transmit that same kind of message to their kids. So we we have all of these kind of uh, barriers to really being, you know, able to think critically and independently. And I think parents have to pick up the slack with that uh, because it's not being done in the schools. So parents have to teach their kids uh, to to be curious. Parents have to teach their kids that it's not okay to leave a task unfinished, that, you know, you have to carry through when you have a responsibility, you have to see that job through to the end. Uh, they have to teach their children to have compassion and empathy for people that have other points of view. But how, but how do you teach children all this? Because that's one of the questions I put down when the adults themselves aren't capable of it. So our education system, and it is the same in Canada, it's the same in a lot of places in the world where the education system, and again, we're not here to say that it has anything to do with the the, the teach, teachers, they're doing what they're no. set out to do. It's the administration and, and the governments that set out how it's created. So that's fine that the education system is failing. We need to rely more on parents. But unfortunately, those parents have been taught pattern behaviors that they don't understand or even realize that they need to break out of so that they're not what you talk about, whether they're the helicopter parent or whatever the case may be. Those, those children need to have good role models. So how do we get through to the adults in order for them to get through to the children or is it too late and we have to hope that we can you know raise a new generation of children that are going to be parents to do the right thing is it too late to do anything about the adults that are currently parenting children out there or is there hope I, for them i hope it's not too late i i think things have gone very far in the wrong direction but a lot of the the COVID crisis did awaken a lot of parents to what was going on. Uh, and when they became aware uh, of what was going on in the schools, even their young children, uh, I, I see a lot of parents who are willing to stand up and fight for it. And parents, you know, parents can do these things at home just by making a conscious effort to model those kind of behaviors, to talk through those things with kids. So encourage a child's curiosity by encouraging them to wonder, you know, just kind of talk the language. Oh, I wonder who 
lives in that old house. I, I wonder what people did to earn a living. Oh, you know, they can relate it to their family. Oh, do you know when grandma was growing up, she had a very different kind of job than people have today. Asking them why, you know, anything that happens, take any situation, uh, they see a playground, take them to the playground, a broken swing. Oh, the swing is broken. Uh, why do you think nobody's fixed that? What do you think we could do about it? You know, just encouraging them to problem solve on, on their own. Uh, uh, just, you know, one step at a time, just, you know, it's a baby, daily. Babies. Yeah. Baby steps because everybody, I communicate with people and the reason I brought it up is not that I believe that people can't change. They believe they can't change that old dog, new trick kind of an out, you know, thought process. And I believe we're never too late to change and affect, you know, change within our family structures, the people we associate with. So you brought up some very valid points. I like that. I wonder, I wonder this, we need to be teaching children to ask questions and then teach them beyond that how to ask good questions, good quality questions, so that they can get the answers they're looking for, and listen to the fact of their response when they when we ask them questions, and teach them to be that critical thinker. Well, I understand where what you're coming from, Sally or John or whatever the child's name is. Have you thought about it this way? So, adults listening, you need to do that for yourself, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. You need to, in order for you to elicit that in your kids, you need to become a really good listener. And that's part of the problem in our society for not just today, for generations, for decades, people don't listen. So when your kids speak, listen to them. When other people talk to you, listen to them, be present and learn how to present in a way with your tone, your body language. So it's not defensive. It's you're questioning whatever is being said. You might be questioning it in, in a way that, you know what, I, I really like what you have to say, Barbara. Have you ever thought of it this way? Or, Hey, Barbara, I really like what you have to say. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? I'm, I'm kind of interested. I'm kind of intrigued so that Barbara wants to share more or, even if it's the you're questioning the fact of what Barbara's saying, you don't really agree with it. Now you have a conversation. You get to a point while well, Barbara still believes the same thing. I still believe the same thing. I've critically thought about why it's all happening in you know super speed. We agree to disagree. We walk away. We're still friends. But I had a critical thinking process where I might even went, well, that's fair, Barbara. Doesn't mean I said I agreed with Barbara. <laughs> But I critically thought about it. I walked away. I'm still friends with Barbara. But now I've had my mind because I was a listener. Critically think about it. And it's going to change my thought processes moving forward. I believe that's how easy it can be. Is it hard? If you've never done it, yeah. been it, a good listener, it's, it can be hard. It can. And I think parents should not accept yes and no answers from their children. Okay, turn it on them. Well, you 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 tell me yes. Well, why? Why is the answer yes? 
why is the answer no? Can can you give me another way of doing that? Uh, and if if a child is telling you, well, you're wrong, and of course you're going to get this with your preteens and your teenagers, prove to me why I'm wrong. Give me your argument and have a conversation with them. Don't give them the easy mm -hmm. way out. You know, like, oh, no, don't let them walk away. You know, make make the child defend his or her opinion. Because a lot of times they don't really think it through. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. When my kids were all teenagers, well, they're all adults now. Um, it was the same sort of thing. And I find that now as I become better, because I'm always constantly on the climb to understand and get better and listen better and articulate better. My grandkids are the ones that are benefiting. Um, you know, I have grandkids that are adults already. I have grandkids that are in their preteens. And, you know, you just... I literally, when they communicate with me, I'll, I'll go, hmm, that's kind of interesting. And I'll say their name. Tell me why you feel that way. Or, and then sometimes they're shocked because no offense to my my adult kids, they've got, they're raising young kids. They got all this, you know, their work on their mind or can they pay the bills? All those things that don't necessarily have to be there if we go back to the budgeting and living with your, <laughs> your resources, but it's all tied together. And my grandkid, my one grandson, he's 10 and I'll have conversations with him. He'll come over and be alone or he'll come to grandpa's house for a weekend or whatever, or overnight or for the, whatever the case may be. And I'll, I'll just, I'll do that. I'll be very inquisitive and I'll say, well, why do you think that way, grandson? Or I heard you say something, grandson, you were talking to your uncle who's over visiting and why do you feel that way? And he's shocked because the fact that Parents today don't necessarily not want to be connected, but there's so much external noise going on in their lives and their brains in regards to budgeting, finance. How are we going to survive? Can we afford to pay this next month? It's so much of our lack of listening skills, our lack of ability to connect with our children is even for teachers is the fact that we have so much external noise going on. At least I believe that's a big problem today. And you talked about the news. I myself do not listen to the news anymore. And people will say, well, how do you stay informed? Well, there's many different ways that I can stay informed in a really great way instead of listening to that filter that you talk about. That filter, that one news media, um, let's say it's you know Fox or it's CNN or whatever. Everyone has their filter. They have their commonalities. But I found that there's so much negativity or so much pressure put on people today that all of a sudden now they're worried about the external world or external country, their city, their town, their community, their finances. Then on top of that, we want them to listen to their kids and ask them why. Like we've we've got so much noise going on, Barbara. Is there anything that you could think of that we could specifically offer up to a parent or an educator that can help them cut through some of this noise so that they can be more effective when it comes to the youth of our world? Oh, I think you hit on one of the biggest points when you talked about listening. Uh, I think we have to just slow down and listen a lot more 
two kids and I, the best parent is more of a, a mentor or a coach than this kind of authoritarian figure. I mean, uh, uh, let the child make mistakes. You know, so many parents are so afraid of their children failing. Uh, we learn a lot more from our failures than we do from our successes. So I, I think mm -hmm. kids have to learn that failure is a part of life too. And that even a child that's going to grow up to be a, an effective leader, uh, they have to learn about fairness, but they have to learn about negotiation. Uh, negotiation is a big skill in leadership and you're never going to get everything you want. And a lot of kids believe they can get everything that they want. You know, they, they, they don't know how to negotiate. And I think parents can help do that with children too. If, for instance, if, if a child wants to do something and the parent has a rule and well, they, they tell the child, well, that's the rule. So say a child wants to stay out later than their curfew. And the parent can ask the child, well, why do you want to stay out late on this night? Well, because my friend Susie is having a birthday party and her parents are taking us out to a movie and then we're going to go out after the movie and have pizza okay so maybe that's a valid reason for the child staying out later than curfew so the parent can kind of negotiate and say well okay you you gave me a good reason for that this one time you can stay out later. So, but it, it teaches the child to be able to negotiate. Yeah. Be flexible. Well, be, being able to communicate their, their yeah. reasoning, presenting a case. And then the parent in turn shows some flexibility and shows, well, you know, it's not always this relationship. I'm the parent, you're the child, you do what I. Well, say. that rigid parenting has okay. caused so much tumultuous garbage for our generation of children growing up. You know, like I grew up in that sort of environment, no disrespect to my parents, but it, you know, my dad was, it's my way or the highway. My mom was the person that was more flexible. So you have that yin and yang situation, mm -hmm. but it still would have been better if it was always, as you said, there it was a negotiation, there was flexibility. So, you know, sometimes parents that are listening, if you have a child has a nine o'clock curfew and that sort of thing comes up like Barbara's talking about and they can stay over and it's a pizza party or whatever the case may be, be flexible with your children, teach them that you're willing to listen and willing to adapt to that circumstance that you're not so rigid because they will, that will teach them as they're growing up to do the same to others. And they will become, that's the problem. We need to make everybody leaders in this world, whether or not they're going to be a leader, they have to have that leader mentality 
to want to always think about others around them, not always be selfishly about themselves. Not that we shouldn't worry about ourselves, but be flexible, be willing to negotiate, be willing to listen to what people have to say, and then critically think about it. It all ties back to the fact that we need we have a lot of work to, that needs to go on in our society today. And when I say society, I mean the world where mm-hmm. people need to learn to appreciate other people, be present in the moment when they're speaking, critically think about what it is we're going to say in response. And yes, those listening, you can do it that quick. You can learn to be a critical thinker where you can be quick on your feet, quick sitting down, quick, whatever the circumstance, you're always going to be a person that's very uh, compassionate and kind about your response. Even when you're kicking somebody in the butt, (laughs) you know, you can, (laughs) you can literally be a good wordsmith. You can be somebody that's going to change generations. Just realize I want everybody to understand you can change no matter what age you are. If you really want to be that person, start by being a person that listens more than you talk. Start being that person that questions other people's opinions. It's okay to, that's called a conversation. That's right. Right? Question it. Well, you know, John, Sally, why do you say that? Or, you know, that's interesting. I've never thought of that take. Have you ever thought of this take? And if you don't have a take to give back, just say, hey, that's great, John. That's I never thought about it that way. It, why do you think that way? All of a sudden, John's going thinking to himself in, in a split second, oh my goodness, somebody actually cares what I have to say, <laughs> right? That's never happened before. And now you've created the initial stages of a great relationship too, in my opinion, anyway. Exactly, exactly. Because everything is a two-way street. You know, it can't be a one-way street. We're never going to be happy, no matter how many passions we have and how much personal success we have in developing that passion. If in the long run, we don't influence or help somebody else along the way, eventually that's going to ring hollow for us uh, because we get a lot of our self-worth by providing something for someone else yeah it's because i like how you put that the word hollow for me i talk about being so many people living on a hamster wheel of life go to work go home get paid they have nothing to strive to live for so many people don't realize that our brain being a giant computer that it is requires input all the time and if you give it the same redundant stuff day in and day out you start living on that hamster wheel, you've got no energy, you're just you're living for the weekends, you're living for whatever the case may be. And that's it it is. And those that are watching or listening to my show, they don't live hollow lives. They maybe have been stuck in that hollow life, or they're right there now, but they're choosing to climb out of it and give a heck or they wouldn't be listening to this, right? right? They wouldn't be watching this. They want change. And you and I are here to tell them that it's possible. It is absolutely possible. When I talked earlier about the fact of misinterpreting things that are in print, you need to think to yourself, what am I also reading? What am I associating with? It's not just the news media that I'm watching where they're giving me a filtered information flow. When you're reading a blog, 
when you're reading a book? Are you associating with stuff that is going to help you critically think? That's going to educate your thought process. That's going to make it so that you critical or become a critical thinker. Because critical thinking isn't something you're born with. It's something that you develop. It's a skill that you can hone and continually grow right to the day you take your last breath. So I love our conversation. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about too, though, is opinion. Because I know that you have a you have a take on this. So I'm really looking forward to a little bit of a conversation about that. So many people believe today opinion is fact right? Uh-huh. They'll they'll tell me something and I'll say, well, where did you hear that? Well, I heard it from John. And, okay, where'd John get it? Well, with John's opinion. Well, that's not fact. It's one person's take, the way they perceive a situation. So why is it important to understand the difference for people to understand the difference between facts and opinions? And how can we teach our children to recognize the difference? Again, that should be taught in schools. And I can remember yeah. in school being taught the difference, you know, oh, given a list of things, choose which of these are facts, which are opinion. Well, the simplest definition is a fact is something that can be proven true. There's no black and white. You can prove it's either right, it's either wrong. An opinion is the way one person sees something that it could be something that is real and true it could be something that is false but that person just interprets it to be real so uh, i do things like little videos and lessons for children to show the difference between fact and opinion on my youtube channel i have things like that uh i think it's important again for parents to enforce that. And the child says, well, so-and-so told me this and, and, and I know that's right. Ask the child, well, how can you prove that's right? Uh, what information can you give me to show that there's no possibility that that could be wrong? And then give them concrete examples like, you know, it, the sun is shining today. Well, you can look up and see the sun. You know the sun is there. You know the sun is... Well, uh, winter is the best season of all. Well, that's an opinion. I mean, there are four seasons. Winter is one of those seasons. But the fact that you say it's the best season of all, well, some people hate the cold. Some people love to to ski, so they love the winter. Other people hate the cold. Some people have jobs where they have to work outside. They may not like the cold. You know, there you have to show them the variations and uh, give examples. Then- I like the I like the what you're talking about. They'll be very example orientated. Give give them something that they can grasp onto. And make it age appropriate, whether it's a young person right. or an older person, give them something that they can use, like your example of winter is one season, <laughs> right? Just because you like it doesn't mean that it's the best season. That's not like, factual. For a it's young child, something very simple, like, you know, the desk is hard. No, the desk is hard. It's made of wood. It's hard. Uh, you know, uh the earth is a planet, there are stars in the sky, you know, something that they can very 
quick. That's factual. And, and, yeah. and visualize. Yeah, that's I appreciate your take on that. Um, we touched a little bit on your Little Miss History book series, and you had mentioned you also have some other th things you've been working on over the last 10 years. You're 16 books deep, and you've focused consistently on making history a fun-filled adventure. And we've talked a little bit about that and the development of your of your book with your your husband and stuff. Is there anything you'd like to add um, as we wrap up the podcast in regards to your book series that people can expect for their children when they when they obviously it's based on history? But is there anything that you would like to add in regards to your book so that they can well, more better understand? Well, they can expect the child to be immersed in a variety of disciplines. So my books are all centered on history, but they focus on so many different aspects. So I have a book on the North Pole. So that book, we talk about climate, we talk about geography, we talk about the eight countries that lay claims in the Arctic region. We talk about people who are associated with the North Pole. We can't, of course, forget about Santa Claus. We talk about how the whole legend of Santa Claus came to be, the historical parts and the mythological parts. We ask children to give their opinions about people and things that have happened in history. So in the Mount Rushmore book, for instance, now that's an iconic landmark that many people are familiar with. We talk about the four presidents. We talk about how Mount Rushmore was built. So we talk about sculpting. We talk about Gutzon Borgon and, and the difficulties he experienced. We talk about uh, people that have been forgotten and how Mount Rushmore came to be it was built on lands taken from the Lakota Sioux native tribe. How we reneged on that treaty. Do children think that it was right to renege on that treaty and to build it on land taken from them? Then we talk about Native American rights today. So we talk about the UN. We talk about uh, indigenous rights. We talk about the Crazy Horse Memorial. Now the Native Americans are building their own memorial and they're going to honor their hero, Crazy Horse. It's going to be bigger than Mount Rushmore. Should we have the two monuments? Should we have one? What do children think about that? I have books that concern nature and the environment. Uh, I do a lot about national parks. So we did we did one on the Sequoia trees and uh, Sequoia National Park. We talk about explorers we talk about people that children may not have ever heard of like Hale Dixon Tharp but we also talk about people like uh, John Muir we talk about uh, the environment and how the Sequoia National Park it has these beautiful redwood trees it has all of this nature we talk about the animal life but there are issues about pollution and we talk about how there is so much pollution that it's sometimes unhealthy to breathe the air in this great national park what does the child think about environment can they think about any solutions any any possible 
ways to combat these problems. So I'm always asking them to do that critical thinking. I'm With always great questions. Them. With great questions. So. I, I talk about people who have been forgotten in history, like Alonzo Swan. He was one of the heroes on the Intrepid when it was hit by a Japanese kamikaze attack. At that time, he was in a segregated uh, African-American unit. Almost the entire unit was wiped out. Those survivors were honored, but not the way they should be. And Alonzo Swan was given a bronze star. He felt that they weren't recognized for what they had done and the um, and what they had contributed and for 50 years he fought he was eventually awarded the navy cross before he died so we talk about all all kinds of issues of people that uh, were not known the connections between people and events that maybe children and adults are not aware of because a lot of times it's the adults the parents and the grandparents who buy the books who come to me and say oh i never knew that i i never realized that so i just try to get everyone more aware and and and, and to not only know and understand the history but being able to delve into it to to use it to come up with critical thinking solutions that could possibly help us in the future. We don't help history by erasing it. We, of course, we, yeah. We know history. We we learn to understand it. We learn to pull it apart. We learn to do critical thinking to interpret history and to use it to our benefit in the future. Yeah, that's that's great. Everything you mentioned in regards to your books and teaching kids to be aware of things. I like the fact that you mentioned that parents, grandparents are buying them and going, I didn't know that. It's because there's not enough focus. Even me going through school, I look at the fact between the U.S. and Canada. Canada, we, we learn a lot more history about the U.S., Yet I ask Americans and they know none of my history. So we can understand when they don't even know their own local history well, mm -hmm. how do I expect them to understand Canada's history? And then in my country, they te taught a little bit of our history, but they were then they taught global history. You know, here's what's happened in Europe, or this is what happened in Russia, or this is what happened in the US. We had to know a lot of this stuff. And it was too much where I don't know enough about my even local history. So there's history has been something that isn't taken serious enough. In, no, in it should of, be one of the major subjects. And today it's pushed out. And uh, yeah. well, in the United States, they like to call it, quote, social studies, which same with here. It's not history. It's just, no, it's well, not. it's a little bit of geography and a little bit of uh, human relations and, you know, a little bit of goods and services. It's kind of all a mishmash, uh, but it's not. It's not focused at all. Depth. No. Yeah, I agree. So, Barbara, we're getting to the end of the podcast here. I'd like to ask you one last final question. If you had to give our listeners one last closing message. What would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? 
I would encourage them all to explore their passions, uh, no matter how insignificant you think it is. If there's something that you have the curiosity uh, and the desire to know and to deepen your understanding, to go for it, I, I think we should uh, learn something new every day. I think I mentioned that before. And the more we learn, the better we can learn to live because we take all of these pieces and our brain puts them all together. And we, no matter how things don't appear to be connected, they are all interrelated in some way. And all of our experiences taken together can help us to become a better person ourselves and then in turn, can help us to somehow use what we've learned to give someone else something to think about, something that they might not have explored on their own. That's a great closing message. I appreciate that. I agree. The, the number one thing that I want to reiterate is everybody learns something new every day. Always take baby steps. Never live a day that you think it's bad. Always live a day of appreciation and gratitude and just learn something new every day. It doesn't take much to learn something new every day. It's not as hard as you may think. You just got to put in the effort. You got to take action. You got to believe that you can change. And till the day you pass, you can have great days. You may have bad moments, but you'll never have bad days, right? If you choose to have great days, make part of that day, though, learning something new. Even if it's just to ask a question and learn something new about somebody in your life. Or watch a documentary. Pick up a book. Some of the greatest information is hidden <laughs> hidden in those covers. And is, people, and if you, you open it, you have a plethora of things that you can learn. Just make sure you're getting the right type of book. Folk, not saying fiction books are bad. They can be entertainment. But if you really want to learn something and move forward in your life, look for books that are nonfiction that are going to educate, inspire, and give you, you know, more purpose than you ever realized you could possibly have. So Barbara, our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way they can reach you? It's easy to reach me. And the best way is to go to my website, which is simply uh, www.littlemisshistory.com. From my website, you can get to any of my resources. So I have an instant chat on there. Uh, they're certainly uh, welcome to email me or use that instant chat. I have my YouTube resources there. So I have history videos for kids. I have uh, videos uh, with teaching lessons that can be used as supplements for either parents. They're very simple. I call them two-minute teacher uh, or, or for teachers to supplement learning. I have videos on things like fact and opinion and and uh, how to use critical thinking. Uh, I have 
a blog and on that blog are review books for children. I also have articles for parents and teachers and authors. I have my social media channels and you can click on anything from my website. Just click on the icon for YouTube, for uh, Pinterest, my collection of resources, whatever they need. So I hope uh, I can help everyone in some way uh, in something that they're looking to use to further their own personal journey. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure that is put into the show notes. Um, new listeners or viewers, you can find the show notes for this episode at giveaheck.com. Go into the portal for podcast and you will see the, the episode as well as the information and as well, if you want to access um, Barbara, there will be that information within that show notes. So I appreciate you being on, Barbara. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others, too, can learn it is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.